Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the podcast, a podcast about radical self-love, fat acceptance, and visibility for all. I'm Marie Southard-Ospina, one of the associate fashion and beauty editors here at Bustle, where a lot of my work focuses on body and fat politics. Some recurring segments that you guys can expect are Words Matter, where we talk about the connotations surrounding terms like fat, plus size, curvy, and BBW, and how they've been reclaimed by a lot of folks. And you can also look out for our shout out to our Body Paws Badass of the Week, which will be anyone making an impact on these conversations, but oftentimes someone with a smaller platform than some of the mainstream voices. Today, I'm going to be joined by our very first guest and someone I'm honored to call a friend, Ushi. You may know her from Twitter, Instagram, or her new blog, Dress Carcass. Hi, Ushi. Hola. <laughs> and Ushi and I are going to be talking about our history with the body pause community online, how the term has seemingly changed since its adoption by the mainstream, and our thoughts on some of the more controversial terminology out there. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Apologies in advance. I might be a little cantankerous. I have a lot of thoughts on the <laughs> That's issue. what we like. That's what yes. we like. <laughs> so... I kind of just wanted to start with with history. And, you know, I feel like since body pause has become more of a mainstream topic, people have gone under this assumption that it's a that it's a new thing, that the activism is new. But, you know, I feel like the first fact fat activists have been around since the 60s. Um, I read an article in Time about how a bunch of activists in the 1960s staged what they called a fat in, which was Mm. a play on sit ins of the time. And I think what they did was eat ice cream in Central Park and like burn (laughs) photos of Twiggy. And I don't necessarily condone the latter part of that, but it's, you know, it's proof. That's still really radical. Yeah, it's really radical. I about that. And, you know, it's been, it's proof that this stuff has been around in some incarnation or another for decades. But I'm really curious about your own introduction to body pause, to fat pause. How did you kind of discover this world? And I think, um... I was introduced to it by uh, Fat Shanisa, the live journal I used to work on there. Live journal. Most people. Yeah. Uh, even though I didn't have a live journal, but I think I uh, came across it from like a real life fat person that was like, oh, they have good clothing sales there. And then I went there and came across a lot of articles and activism. So I think for me, originally, it was just uh, deeply political to see fat bodies dressing themselves well. Then I came across the, a lot of the literature, a lot of the activism, a lot of the articles. I think Leslie uh, Kinzel's work and uh, Kate Harding's work were really monumental to me personally. They shifted or they started to shift or planted the seeds of how I was going to look at um, what it means to exist as a fat person in the world and the constructs we buy into that propagate the shame and guilt around that. I don't think I'd heard of the term body positivity until maybe Instagram popped up. 
Um, I think part of that, it was just always fat, fat activism, fat bloggers, plus size. Was fat you know, positivity activism. a term? Positivity wasn't or really a term. just positivity wasn't a thing until right. it went until it And went I more. have, like, I personally have issues about the term positivity to begin with. I think it's kind of new agey and um, doesn't have a bark to it. Do I you think feel like it just makes it accessible to, like, more of the general public, but to a point where... It might downplay the importance of the original activism. A hundred percent, yes. Um, I think the idea is to undermine the constructs of negativity uh, that yeah. <laughs> create these uh, structures in which people are made to feel ashamed of their bodies or uh, buy into diet culture. But at this point, at this stage, I see people using body positivity and posting about before and after pictures. I see them selling teas and weight loss shakes. Um, I see people trading in eating disorders for overworking out. And I don't know what the umbrella term means anymore. Yeah, I honestly don't. And I think it's become a catch-all. And I think if that makes the idea of neutralizing body shame to a larger uh, group of people more accessible. To a certain extent, it's a good thing, but it's so reductionist and one-dimensional. And what's wrong with talking about straight-up bias? What's wrong with talking about straight-up activism? I came into this world in 2011, 2012, and back then... Body positivity was a term, but it was still very niche, I feel like. It had already developed online, but it hadn't yet blown up into the thing that it is today. How did you come into it, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, no. So I spent my junior year of college abroad in in Spain and Prague, and I kind of just... It was the first time I came across women who were fat in real life and who didn't appear to be hiding. Like, in Spain, the plus-size women just blew my mind. They were in all the bright colors. They were in, like, the same miniskirts as their thin friends, and I'd never really seen that here. I mean, I grew up in small-town New Jersey and then went to NYU for school, but, like, NYU is kind of just, like... Very, uh, it's like a hub for a lot of like models and Tisch students who are all, you know, not I'd want to say all, but like it's a lot of mainstream beauty at NYU. It's like it's insane. Um, and so I went abroad and it was just this radical experience for me just to see people in real life who were my size or bigger and who weren't hiding. And I got filled with all this like new sense of, you know, oh, like maybe it's okay to to like myself as I am now without this need to change. I think uh, there was a time where it it was genuinely rare for people to consciously think about their bodies in terms of how they dress themselves that didn't include be less, be smaller. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Consciously choosing to be where you are and be okay with it was not common at all. No, I feel like in general women are kind of told that they have to shrink and take up, you know, not take up space. It's something we we're all we all sort of hear and know to a different degree or another. But then you add to that any kind of marginalization and it's it's not shrink, it's be invisible. And, you know, I just discovering these kind of bloggers and writers and photographers like Substantia Jones of Addie Positivity Project, just it blew my mind. I had no idea that you could actually exist as a fat person and not have to actively work Mm-hmm. to be different. And I think coming into it when I did, which was before a lot of the kind of co-opting of, you know, these kind of mantras, body positivity was just like this acknowledgement that our bodies directly tie into the way we experience the world. And like 
it came with an awareness of privilege that, you know, recognizes the many different ways that, like, being fat or queer or differently abled will affect you. Or colorism. Or colorism. And I think part of it being accessible to the mainstream and being co-opted by the mainstream and really being reclaimed by everybody is we, we've stopped talking about what it specifically means to be fat. Um, and the specific marginalization that comes with that and the ostracization that comes with that and the loss of pay and the, most importantly, the medical and uh, healthcare community, the Definitely. amount of bias and lack of care that we get is, um, I mean, it literally costs lives, literally. Yep, and, you know, clothes are great. Media representation is great. I personally have an issue with the kind of media representation we're getting. I feel like... It's a little bit like, here's the mainstream. We're going to open the door just a wee smidge mm-hmm. little. With the and hourglass and the size Right, so we're just going to let a few, a few in that we've widened, mm-hmm. you know, the standards just enough to. Mm-hmm. And you can cash in on your little privileges and you're cool now. Do you feel like that's, like it's a step? You know, the fact that I doors are opening? Don't. I think, I think. As more doors open, there will be more room for other voices, but I don't think the pace in which it's happening, and I don't, I don't know if mainstream media will ever fully stand for, say, a dark-skinned black woman that is uh, apple-shaped. I don't know if there's ever going to be room for that, and I think that's part of the problem. And I think when we just, I think when we focus too much on extending beauty standards well why are we even really talking about beauty standards why are we still why is it about beauty clamoring still? yes yeah. why are we still clamoring for these outdated paradigms um why are we still clamoring to be accepted to be seen in these problematic constructs and lenses yeah. why aren't we demanding to be seen and treated as equal in in much more significant I mean, ways this is probably why the good fatty thing is still so embraced mm-hmm. by by mainstream coverage of all of these things you know i think the reason people have so many issues with only seeing women like ashley graham and denise bideau and felicity hayward they're all they're all you know I don't I don't know these people personally and I think they're all wonderful models. I think they're very talented, but they're just all we see in in terms of mainstream plus representation and mm-hmm. they are definitely women who who people can kind of be like, "Oh, well, you know, she's she's curvy, she's like different, but she's not right. she's not unsafe." You know, we're not there's promoting also... anything here. We're not promoting or glorifying obesity. We're just it seems there's a lot of like exceptions. If you are funny or entertaining enough, if you perform the clown enough, like certain comedians, you get a pass. If you are a sexualized fatty that gets um, mainstream approval, you're given a sidestep. Um, if you fall outside of those constructs, there's still no room. I mean, look at how Gabrielle Sidibe is treated. She is brilliant. Yes. Um, and yet she is still the butt of memes and jokes. And people, she's one of the only celebrities I feel like people adamantly associate her with her role in Precious. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what people still And think. level it as an insult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, don't, I can't think of any other celebrity who's that tied and so, role. and that's like another thing too. I and mean, we talk about fat, even within the body positive, quote unquote, body positive community, even within the fat community, um, or the fat community that is conscious and or having conversations about this. We do not talk about how there are layers and stratified layers of marginalization. We don't talk about skin tone. We don't talk about uh, sexual currency. We don't talk about privileges of whiteness or prettiness and how these factors into um, 
how fat people are treated because the experiences can vary hugely, hugely. I feel like the abandoning of the people who this was created has largely happened in like the last year or two you know i feel since basically since i i, I kind of personally peg it to when gabby Gregg designed her first swimsuit and that exploded and you know that line sold out what in like an hour her first fat kini it was like a, one of the first kind of plus size swimsuits that i that i saw that was super chic it was a bikini it was kind of breaking the rules and it sold out in like 30 minutes and since that bikini and since that first line i feel like Fashion has definitely taken notice of, like, oh, yeah, there's a consumer, but, like... Mm. I don't know if she necessarily... I don't know if that line necessarily attributed to further marginalization or not, like... Oh, I'm not, like, blaming. blaming no, no, no. But, I way. mean, for me, I think for me it was, like, a lot of Instagram people and a lot of models. I, I think... Um, yeah, with, with her line, I just feel like it was a moment that... It was just so undeniable that there was a market for plus size women mm-hmm. and brands took notice enough of that to like try to enter this realm in, in their own way of like plus fashion. Okay. But a lot of the people obviously have come from it without much understanding of the activism, without much understanding of the grassroots communities. Right. And, and I think that's where. Like, oh, this sells, you know. And this is where I go back to body positivity and the, that term being problematic. Um like I said, it's it's reductionist. It's hashtag activism. It's uh, let's take down very, very hard to swallow, swallow concepts of being too ugly and too, um, too, ugly, too fat, worthless too, black, too to exist. Abled, yeah. Right. And then turn that into let's feel slightly better about, you know, X, Y, Z body. And I feel like it's undone all of the activism, a lot of the work. I I feel like we don't focus enough on critical thought. I feel like critical thought is often shut down, you know, even when some of your writers have tried to open up conversations about criticizing mainstream aspects of the movement. It's been uh, responded to as, like, haters. Um, And What blows my mind about that is that sometimes it comes directly from the community like mm-hmm. it's, you know absolutely it's, it's there's so much tension within the community and there's people who are not happy with the way things have gone mainstream are not happy with the way these things are covered want to talk about the nitty-gritty issues try to criticize you know a brand extends its size range to a 20 and like everyone's celebrating and then you have these people who are like wait why are we celebrating that that's like two oh, sizes man. more <laughs> it's just on the misguided website and i have one of their dresses and they're cute but they go up to a 20 but it's like a a small 20 that's really closer to a 16 yes. and their 20s and 18s are always <laughs> sold out and i'm like why this fucking tease thing? me like, i'm 20 it's just that's that's my size and like for those of you listening who have no idea what i look like i'm i am on the smaller end of plus and like it that's that's so many people being left out of your plus size collection. That is most people I would I would wager being and left out. And quantities that are always sold out. And they've been I think they've been promising to do better for a long time, but they just haven't. And I'm like, what is the point then? Yeah. Really. Um and you look at places like Lane Bryant. I appreciate what like Lane Bryant right now is collaborating with um Christian Seriano. And yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate when they do when they invest their money and their dollars in the idea that fat women will buy uh, higher-end or medium-end or designer collaborations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they do things like the pluses equal, you know, campaign know shenanigans. Yeah. And then with the quote-unquote pluses equal hashtag, it takes you directly to a corset and uh, <laughs> shapewear. <laughs> so just a What's lot of mangled message? messages yeah. right there. 
you know, I was trying to shop on Nivabi. Um, I think that's what they're called. It's like a British website. They have like some higher end stuff too. A lot of like minimalism, like got stuff. Totally up my alley. I was like, let me, let me, let me spend some coins because I have them right now. And in the editor's notes of the uh, this clothing was like, oh, is slimming on arms uh, will create an illusion of a blah 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 figure. And I'm like, really? You just turned me off. Like, <laughs> I'm sure there are a whole bunch of customers that want those things, but for you to dictate that. Um, as someone that rejects those things, it's, uh, I wish they would just use neutral language mm -hmm. and invest their money and their actions towards actually supporting women that are larger yeah. by and providing them more options. And that's all I ask for. I'm just, I'm also waiting for the day when a brand does that, when a brand includes a diversity of women, you know, in size, in race, in abilities, does it, does it well. But doesn't make a big fuss about it. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to get the accompanying press release. Illoqui. That's the one brand that does it right. I swear. Yes, Illoqui, and people don't talk about it because no. they don't they don't they don't self-congratulate themselves and pat themselves on the back. And so people don't yeah. talk about them. They've put out a lookbook that has had size 24 plus. and up. Yet. Yeah. 26 and up. And they use darker skin models. They use dif oh, diversity yeah. in body shape. That lookbook was amazing. They do it right. And nobody talks about it. I, no, we often talk about people that are doing it wrong, and I feel like there isn't in general enough celebration of the people doing it right. You know, Aloki's mm -hmm. a great example of a brand that's doing it right. But I actually met with someone from Aloki who, who kind of told me, you know, told me to my face, like, we are about the fashion. We care about catering to the plus-size woman. We don't really want to be involved in, like claiming activism when we don't necessarily that's not like exactly what we're doing you know we're offering Nor a service they have and they to shouldn't be. have to exactly yeah and and i think that's where so many brands falter is they they put their hands in the activism pot when yeah. they have nothing to do with it and, and it just, i honestly activism so kind of inherently is it's paradoxical to do selling you shit <laughs> you know yeah. uh, i'm not sure if those two concepts really go hand in hand if the message is genuine, I feel like it'll feel genuine and it doesn't need all this like pomp and circumstance. Um, I loved what Beyonce just did with her with her recent collection. She used Jillian Mercado, who is a differently abled model. She is a oh, she's amazing. She was in a lot of. Yeah. And she just used her as she would any other model. There was no press release saying like Beyonce so body pause for doing this. There was no pomp and circumstance. It was just this is a model, you know, that we wanted to include just like any other model. There was no announcement. And that to me felt more like she gets that like you need inclusion and you know she's not trying to claim body pause activism when she might not identify as such i think in general authenticity is um pretty clear i think you can feel it in vibes period and i think it's also pretty clear when things aren't um just on a gut basic level you know forget all the activism forget all the critical thought forget the uh the bulk of where we come from and why the companies do what they do i think at the end of the level we know when we see something that is being co-opted and bastardized because it feels icky period definitely so something else that has come with i think mainstream body positivism is the reactions from people who now think that because it's a buzzword, because they're seeing it on articles everywhere, 
it's all of a sudden acceptable and even praiseworthy for women to say, I don't care. I love my fat body. Like there are genuinely people who will comment on articles and say like, you know, like fat is glorified. What are you complaining about? All we do, like all you do is like post pictures of yourself in a fat kini. Obviously this is accepted. Obviously fat isn't a bad thing anymore. Has anyone actually existed in a fat body and like have to hear comments or be treated slightly differently? Now there's like these people who like just think because there's articles now, because body pause is a Mm -hmm. buzzword, all of a sudden like in their heads that translate to like that translates to it's okay now like it's okay to be fat like right and, and these are probably the same people that believe in a post-racial america yes right? definitely okay. but like there's so many of them you know like this is <laughs> this is like something i get so much in emails you know people will reach out to say like i don't know what you're complaining about because like America is just fat. Like, you know, everyone everyone loves fat people. Well, like, first and foremost, there's a whole big world outside of America. Oh, yeah. There are ways in which we are privileged to even be able to have these discussions here in the first place. And I think that's important to keep in mind. I think a lot of the times, because so much of fat activism happens in Eurocentric countries, mm-hmm. um, or the voices are at least are heard there, we often don't talk about the cultural context in which fat is perceived differently or treated differently across the world. Definitely. Um, um, and part of being inclusive in any activism is is leaving room for cultural context and differences. Definitely. And I think that's something we need to talk about. And Marie is Colombian-American and I'm from Maldish. Yeah. And the average person in Maldish is very small. And uh, people feel very entitled to women's bodies in terms of commenting, touching, uh, telling you what you should or should not be. My friend who is a size 2'4 gets her arms grabbed and told, well, these are meaty, aren't they? Really? And she's a 2'4. So <laughs> you can only imagine what I, I grew up feeling like Quasimodo even when I was like 150 pounds there, which is, you know, I'm double that now. Yeah. So um, it's it's toxic. But also I think it's important to talk about the lenses in which you have to have a certain amount of privilege to be able to be fat unless you have a severe medical condition in my country. Um, being fat is indicative of class, of money, of privilege, of having the ability to have enough food to get fat in the first place um, and not be starving in a country that's been riddled with famine and poverty, abject poverty. Um, and I think sometimes uh, larger bodies are both, they serve as a, a blank wall for people to project oh, this is gluttony, this is out of control, this is... This is greed. This is greed. This is all these cultural values that um, run counter to what is the norm here. And uh, you can be villainized a little bit for that. And I think women that are fat are either hypersexualized in a really crass way, uh, where they exist only for sexual consumption mm-hmm. in my country, or conversely, are absolutely not seen as sexual beings at all, completely desexualized, um, not seen as viable candidates. I mean, one of the main arguments, I think, when you're fat in Maldish uh, is, oh, well, but who's going to marry you? Mm-hmm. Are the how boys going to like you? Like, how, how is that going to work? What's going to happen to your life if that doesn't yes. happen? God forbid. Um, and that is a genuine soul. worry. And I think men even in my country get that a lot, too. It's like, well, are you going to be able to find a wife? Mm-hmm. You want to be a viable partner? That was that? certainly something. I, like, at 14 years old, I remember being told that by relatives. You know, honey, if you don't drop that barrigota, that big belly... You're not going to get a husband. You're not going to get a boyfriend. I don't understand how you can progress and how you can expand your way of thinking if you don't criticize. And if I mean, criticize constructively. I think that's 
that's a key thing to to look at it with an eye of wanting things to improve and not just of of shaming for the sake of shaming but like you can't deny that we have so far to go right with with when it comes to body image and i think i want to say it was l i'm not 100% sure but maybe l india put together a spread of indian women who are plus size and they all looked fabulous and they were rocking it but Two qualms. One, everybody was light-skinned as hell. Hmm. Which, you know, I'm from Bangladesh. In South Asia, in general, we come in a variety of skin tones. Yes. Um, secondly, it looked pretty obviously like everybody came from a certain class, which doesn't help with the stereotype. But it's it's a stereotype for a reason. It exists for a reason. Um, but lastly, and I think this bothered me, and this is something like I negotiate with and I'm sort of learning to understand within myself too, is the idea that... Everybody who was presented as fashion forward was wearing Western clothing. And this is for India. So the idea that in order to be fat and well-dressed, you have to uh, wear Western clothing because these are Western values. Being fat is Western. Having plus-size clothing is a Western value is deeply problematic to me. Um, uh, Even just the conflation of progressiveness with... And modernization with American values is really problematic to me because I think there are ways in which we can reclaim saris and langas for larger bodies. Um, that hasn't happened. There have been evolution um, in how langas are worn, but they're largely for smaller women. They've gotten lower and lower waisted yep. and so on and so forth. And uh, we don't see anything we really don't see as many options is there uh does this also exist in colombia because i know this is the case definitely for a lot of south asia where uh fatness is almost acceptable i mean it's still looked down upon but it's it gets a pass if you're married and older possibly yeah yeah certainly for but if you're younger or single then it's absolutely unacceptable to do something about it but there's this idea of like you can quote unquote let yourself go and so uh, the only real images we see of fat women in media representation, um, or I did growing up, was either in the butt of the joke comedic, hmm. uh, very much the butt of the joke, not comedic role, like just the butt of the joke, or aunties and older ladies and grandmas. Um, yeah. And that, that that was pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, now that you mention it, I feel like it's 100% okay for for older people, for married people, for grandparents to be chunky, to be fat, once they've kind of gotten the whole marriage and dating thing out of the way, once they've once they've done that, right. it's okay. Which takes me back to just how much of fatness is intrinsically linked with sexual viability or what the sexual viability of the time is predicated upon. Yeah, definitely. Which brings it back to it being a misogynist problem. But anyway, <laughs> when we're raised in such toxic circumstances and with such confl- conflicting information, we're not given the autonomy to decide for ourselves what it is we like and want yeah. and how we actually feel about ourselves. I, I feel like my entire 20s, and I'm like edging up on 30 in a year, uh, has been about the process of unlearning, you know, and that's Re-educating. a lot to unpack. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. Um Definitely. And what I really wish for for the future generation is that they have less to unpack. Yeah, this is I mean, this this is why I'm sometimes more on the bandwagon of celebrating smaller steps towards inclusion is because when I was growing up, there was there was no one comparable to Ashley Graham on a magazine cover, you know, and I know that she's not representative of the majority of fat women. She's not. But 
that's her body type is not something I saw. It's not something that the little girls in my school saw. You know, there was no Gabori Sidibe on TV. There was no, I mean, I'm trying, not that there are many now. I can't even think of that many more people getting this mainstream visibility, but like, it's still more than there was. And I just hope that like, obviously it's not enough and we need to keep pushing for more, but maybe that'll mean like by the time I have kids, if I have kids, like, and I have a girl, like maybe she'll see one person in a magazine on the TV that is, she can relate to. And that's still like more than I had. And that's still more than so many people had growing up. So I think that's why I'm sometimes more like optimistic about the small steps. It's important. Media representation can be life-changing. That being said, like if I have a girl... I want her to not even have to look for media representation. I want her to just feel good enough for existing being. Yeah, period. no, definitely. And not even that's have a, that's to the feel. Ideal. Right. But I mean, it's just, I, 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 I'm glad for media representation. I'm glad for like those doors being open just a little bit. I'm not glad for how the ways in which those doors are open for their ostracized people that no. are not on the receiving end of that. And I think, and that's why I think we need to keep fighting for Exactly. It. And I think we need to keep talking about it. And I think it's important for a lot of these figureheads to be <laughs> open to criticism um, and listen to what their nays- naysayers, quote unquote, are saying. <laughs> because yeah. I think there's important, valuable feedback there that they could then take in and be better, be better figureheads. You know, Um, I think people are often too defensive and too shackled up in their own experiences to to realize how their messages might be deeply problematic. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes I'm I'm more on the cynical boat that we were touching up on earlier. And I just I don't see it happening. Something like media is so built on traditional beauty, on Mm -hmm. symmetry, on having even if you're hourglass, even if you're plus size, having that perfectly Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. You guys can't see what I'm miming, but like an hourglass mm-hmm. shape. And it's still curated. It's still about how how beautiful you are in other ways. Like maybe you're fat, but you still have that face. That's Right. And this is where I go back to like, why is beauty still the benchmark? Yeah. Why is beauty still a priority? Why are we still all clamoring think, for approval of beauty? Do you think we just it's part of deconstructing beauty standards is I think well, I think the idea of deconstructing beauty standards is still buying into the idea that beauty standards even matter in the first place. Okay. Um I don't think that's where the conversation should be happening, frankly. Yeah. Period. I think the more focus we put on beauty and what is acceptable beauty and what is not acceptable beauty and how we can fit into or widen those scopes are still problematic because we are not smashing the idea that beauty is a worthless concept <laughs> created by people to regulate other people and women and use as currency. Um, why aren't we talking about that? Oh, because we're still busy cashing in on our currency with pretty hourglass models that are traditionally white that's why i mean those are our fat figureheads yeah and i ask myself every day like i'll i'll put you know i put makeup on i love makeup i believe in the powers of transformative beauty i think that's a thing but i do ask myself almost every day like why why are you doing this like you could you could sleep an extra half an hour if you didn't do your hair if you didn't put on makeup if you didn't care about those aspects Mm mm-hmm and none of our choices are made in a vacuum. Like, we can make those choices for ourselves, for our gaze, exactly. for our personal choices, but they still don't exist in a vacuum. That's the thing. You know, I, I believe that I'm not doing it to appease anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm past that. I'm past the point where I, like, put on lipstick because I think it'll make me prettier to a dude. It's not about that. But 
it's still but we're not. still cashing yeah. in on the privileges of looking prettier yeah. in makeup that people that people associate with oh you're putting in effort good for you you get a yeah. pass and no, just because i, I talk about beauty standards and smashing them and that exception doesn't mean i i don't have my moments with them either oh no we all um, do and i think right and i think that's not talked about no. enough either it's like this idea of like perfect self-love and perfect confidence yeah. no dude i freak out when i see my yeah. double chin and photos just like everybody <laughs> else yeah jody jody lane wrote a great piece on i think the title was why it's okay to be a sad fat girl and it touched mm, upon. i love that it was, it was so, so good. good it was so good so good and i think she felt similarly of just because she believes in fat activism and fat acceptance and because she blogs and actively writes about these things, she started to feel like that's what she had to be 24-7. Mm-hmm. She had to be the person who never faltered, who never had a bad body image day. But we don't live in that world. Like, we – body shaming is what we're conditioned to do. From well, the- but I, I think also there's, like, a like, – like we were saying before, I think the pressure then builds for people who are in the community or working actively against those constructs to then appear happy and fat and perfectly okay with themselves at all times. And I think that can be just, I think that can be damaging. How do you go from loathing yourself to completely loving yourself? And it it isn't this binary, it's a spectrum and it's work. And I think people also leave out the fact that it is work. That's the and thing about mainstream body lot of work. It's, it's a year's worth of work yes. on yourself that is very, very hard and of reading, of definitely. knowing yourself better, of understanding people's motivations, of setting better boundaries, of learning how you feel in your own body and being more present. Those are not things that are done overnight. There is no, no magic pill. It's not. a process. This is why it's easy to get cynical. Like, how do you even begin to... To tackle the fact that this stuff is ingrained and it's beyond fashion and it's beyond playground bullying. It's the healthcare system. It's the government. It's class. It's, you know, there's so much Mm -hmm. that goes into size discrimination that's beyond do we have What can we do as a community? Like, here's my question. Um, what, What can we do as a community and or people that have certain privileges or not? To make it better. Well, I think that brings us to our Body Pause Badass of the Week, something I'd love to do every week, which is shout out a blogger or an activist or a photographer that's making an impact and a statement on these issues. I think you were talking about Ragini, and I wanted to talk about Rochelle of uh, RochelleFatLeopard.com, and she's an African-American young prodigy who does (laughs) photography um, in diverse shapes, body sizes, um, and I think... We need to talk about the women and people who already have marginalized identities that don't have the following Mm -hmm. that uh, figureheads do. And we need to uplift them and be like, look at their work. They are amazing. Why are we not talking about them? Let's talk about them because they're bosses. We have to, I think part of it is elevating those voices. You know, if you have the bigger platform, shout out all the people who are doing incredible things but don't have that following i think we need to deconstruct uh goodness and badness and the idea is that bodies or food can inherently be any of those things because they're not it's just our really neurotic society's projections that we've all internalized 100 percent i think that was a really good end quote (laughs) well ushi Thank you so, so much for this. You are a magnificent, glorious human being who can put things into words that I can only just ramble about in my internal monologue. So thank you so much for inviting me. 
if listeners want to find you, how do they go about that? My Snapchat and Instagram are ushshi. Uh, dresscarcass.com is my blog. And I think I am dresscarcass at Twitter as well. Brad, thank you, everyone. Go find her. <laughs> thank you for tuning in. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes. Please go over and subscribe. There's a lot of awesome stuff and amazing people coming up. And shout out to Patty McClave at Birchwood Studios, who composed and produced the theme song you heard today.